and welcome to the NatWest Women in Business podcast. I'm June Sarpong and we're here for another installment exploring entrepreneurship, telling the stories of inspiring female business owners and plotting the secrets to success. Over the course of this series, we've been exploring a range of businesses from food to fashion, discussing everything from manufacturing to tech. Today, though, we're entering the world of travel and international trade but with a social twist. And in the studio, we'll be joined by a special guest mentor, plus expertise from the NatWest Women in Business team. But first, let's meet our featured woman in business. Her company, Maiden Voyage, offers networking for businesswomen traveling away from work. The site allows people to meet up and explore new cities together, transforming a dull and lonely business trip into a social and enjoyable traveling experience. What's more, the hotel vetting service provides recommendations for safe, female-friendly hotels. Carolyn Pearson, welcome to the studio and welcome to the NatWest Women in Business podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Jean. So happy to be here. Oh, well, it's wonderful to have you here. What a clever business. Thank you. It wasn't meant to be a business. It was just, <laughs> just to satisfy my own need when I was sat in LA one day and I thought there must be in lots of women sat in hotels who were feeling the same way and I started to create a network and nine years later I have this global business. Isn't that amazing? So basically you were on a work, because I was going to ask how did you come up with the idea but you've sort of answered it for me. So you were on a work trip yeah. and you thought surely I can't be the only one feeling this way. Well I just assumed that something would be out there. My background was technology, mm -hmm. but I also worked in media. I was working for ITV at the time. <laughs> and I just thought, well, it can't be that difficult. I'll just create this bit of a network. And uh, before I knew it, uh, Management Today magazine came to me and said, can we write a feature about it? And, you know, nine years ago, social networking was still fairly, you, you. know, infantile. Yeah. yeah. And so, of course, it wasn't really a thing then. So I had to ring all my friends and get them to pretend to make it look like it was bigger <laughs> than what it was. <laughs> and um, two weeks after the Management Today feature, the New York Times picked it up. And literally within a week, CNN got me on and they had me in an interview with Wired magazine. And what? Then women from all around the world have started to join the network. Are you serious? That's no. unbelievable. And, and really today, even, you know, all this time um, has gone by, but the press still love us, which is just, it's just a dream. So how's it changed from nine years ago when almost it's almost like the sort of universe was on your side where just one thing after another led to, you know, just happened and then you just got all of this traction. How have you been able to sustain that over a nine year period? It's funny that you use the word universe because yes. that's very much where I play in yeah. terms of visualizing yeah. and dreaming yeah. and uh, I have to say you know maybe eight years ago I visualized an office in the center of Leeds with women working different hours to suit their schedules speaking Families, different languages yeah. and I have got that today Woo! so it just really goes to show <laughs> that visualization is the thing but actually I, I know so much now about travel risk management and, and safety and security that we've actually become recognised as one of the world's leading organisations in travel security wow. for women. Of course, yeah. So that's almost like a byproduct of the business. Yeah. So now let's talk a bit, a bit more about your background, because as you said, you used to work for ITV, but not just ITV. You've worked for Sony, KLM, BBC, 
EasyJet. Is there anyone you haven't worked for? <laughs> well, I tend to make a habit of only working with companies whose products I'm passionate about. <laughs> so if it's travel or if it's media, yeah. then that's where my heart is. Travel, media or technology. Got you. And so then, you know, you had this sort of wealth of experience, this corporate background. Yeah. How did you then parlay that into starting your own business? Because presumably that must have been a real wake up call because you go from because you had a, you know, a very senior position. So you have the expense account, you get looked after all the sort of the team, the assistance, all of that to then just being on your own with your own company where the buck stopped totally with you. That must have completely changed your life. No? Well, all throughout my career, I've always done extracurricular. So actually, when Maiden Voyage was born, I'd just finished doing an MBA whilst I was working full time. Of course you did. <laughs> what else? <laughs> so actually, else? I was a little bit, I wouldn't say bored, but I had some spare time. Um, <laughs> and so, so actually, and I did carry on doing my job for a few years until Maiden Voyage got so big that I had to choose between the two. Yeah. But you're right, having gone from a massive salary, you know, good six-figure salary with colleagues, yeah. you know, things like staff canteen, yeah. you know. But I didn't realise, as an extrovert, you know, it's not just about being gregarious and outgoing, mm. it's also about taking energy from other people. Mm. And actually working from home by myself did actually bring me right down and my world shrunk. And actually I did go into a place where I was full of self-doubt and also, as we'll talk about a little bit later, the... The, the challenge of selling, every rejection just chops something more off my spirit. Yes. And so it was really, really tough, actually. And so what was the process to turning that around? I went off on a retreat mm. and during you that... You are so speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> I love a retreat. I love a workshop. <laughs> love a seminar. <laughs> well, on this retreat, I put this thing out to the universe. Mm. I wanted to do some TV. Yes. And so um, whilst I was there, I had some... TV company contact me to do um, an, an entrepreneur show on, on Sky, actually. And it was uh, Fortune Hunter TV. Mm. And, um, in, I, and I was in the second episode and I looked in the first episode and there were the guys such as Gordon Merrilees um, talking about entrepreneurial spark. Mm. And so I thought, I need to know what this entrepreneurial spark thing is. And so I looked online, got myself to a, a workshop and uh, and they talked about what the programme was. And, and I'm one of those people that when something's right and mm. you have to do it. Mm. And I sat in that workshop and I thought, I have to get onto the Entrepreneurial Spark programme. Because you knew you needed a community. Definitely. Well, we're going to talk more about Entrepreneurial Spark a bit later and we'll have Julie from NatWest in to also talk to us about that. But I want to sort of focus more about your career journey and the journey of the business um, itself. So can you tell me, how does Maiden Voyage actually work and how does it make money? Uh-huh. So as an individual, um, you can sign up and you get lots and lots of things for free. So firstly, you can connect with other women around the world and, and that's have free. dinner. Absolutely free. Yeah. Um, we've also got over 70 ambassadors in cities around the world who are generally expats mm. or women mm -hmm. and they can advise you on the local dress code, the business etiquette... Wow. 
where you can get your nails done. So we, we jokingly call ourselves a female foreign office. Yeah, that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, you can find female-friendly hotels on the website and some travel safety tips. How do you define a female-friendly hotel? <laughs> well, you've probably had both of these incidents. Okay. A hotel that doesn't announce your room number out loud because we I all hate know, that. I know, I hate that. As a woman, you really are conscious of that, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. And what do you do? Do you just accept it or do you challenge it? Well, I'm the kind of person that does challenge good, it. Good, yeah. good, good. Um, yeah, so things like that, double locking doors so that people can't get in with a master key. And, of course, we all love a decent hairdryer mm. that you don't have to drag out the back <laughs> of a drawer, right? <laughs> Beauty and safety, of course. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so they're all the free elements of the platform. Mm. But then, of course, we've got a serious side to it, which is the corporate. So large organisations trust us with the duty of care and safeguarding element of their female travellers. Yes. So they've got a closed network, they get access to all of our hotel inspections, so mm. the good, the bad and the ugly. They can also work with us to develop travel safety programmes, so we can go in and do full-day training courses, which are really intensive. We've got a set of e-learning modules wow. where we talk about hotel safety wow. or you know, um, safe meetings uh, or even just leisure time, you know, sexual harassment by colleagues on mm. business trips, all those things that are brushed under the carpet. Carpet, completely. Yeah. And so do corporates pay you to, for that service? They do. And so we, we make money from lots and lots of different avenues. So from the corporates, we work with the travel industry, so we will do research projects. We're doing some advisory work with Airbnb at the moment. Wow. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Uber and literally had a look under the bonnet at some of the security aspects there. Mm. So we're really getting into the nitty gritty. And, and I say it all the time, we're really putting the elephant in the room as yes. to why organisations can have a gender specific conversation about travel safety. Yes. Because it's different. It's different. And, you know, if you look at all of the, the, the data and the research, violence against women is, is the number one killer of women in the world. Absolutely. So it's actually such a problem. And, and no one looks at it in terms of, a, in terms of business, do they? No, and, yeah. and the, the example that I often give, if I'm presenting to a room of men and women, say there's a, a man in the room called John. Mm. You know, John and I could go to Saudi Arabia. He could just get on a plane right now, dressed as he is, yeah. and he can continue as normal. Yeah. I can't. No, I have to cannot. change my clothes, yeah. my behaviour. Yeah. I'm restricted in what I can do and where you can go exactly yeah so what are your hopes going forward wow well I think I'd like to well I know I would like to have yeah remember visualization yeah, exactly <laughs> at least three hotels good hotels in the top 100 business cities around the world to be certified and when I say three obviously for London Paris New York much much more than that but also just to create that critical mass in the community yes so that when you are networking in New York you've got a range of women that you can meet up with right. Brilliant. And so as an entrepreneur, what, what are sort of your biggest hang-ups, do you think? Oh, it's selling, no doubt. I love product development, mm. I love creating, I love inventing, I love, you know, speaking on the stage and talking about my passion and sharing and inspiring and all of that. But I'm just being mentored at the moment on the on the sales cycle. Mm. And you look at the sales cycle, it's about as long as it is to develop a new e-learning product, <laughs> it seems like it is. <laughs> I just want to create fantastic products and I want people to buy them. Yeah. I don't want to go through this merry dance of, you know, courting and who's a decision maker and all of that. I just find it terrifying. And also, I, I think I've created, as they would say, a rod for my own bike because mm. I'm disrupting a market. I'm not yeah. selling widgets. Yeah. So people don't know that they need this service. They probably 
probably didn't put budget away this year for it because they didn't know that they needed it. So it's an educational piece, actually. And then they're having to find budget elsewhere in order to fund it. Yeah, but actually, you know, what we're seeing now is seeds that I planted years ago are now coming back to fruition. And I've got a really nice story. I I, I pitched to um, a global bank probably three, four years ago, Mm -hmm. and they ate me for breakfast. Mm. But I was very gracious and I knew that I wouldn't get a sale in the first meeting. And at the time I was still working for EasyJet. It was Mm. one of my days off and I went and, and did this pitch. And we all remain friends, but they did really, you know, dissect the business but mm. actually by doing that they gave me some ideas on how to, to make it better it, yeah. and um, three years down the line uh, one of these ladies contacted me and she said I don't know if you remember but you pitched to me when I was working for this big bank and she said I'm now actually working for one of Silicon Valley's tech giants I want to know what you can do for us and as a result they're now one of my clients yeah that's fantastic then we love it when you have those stories yeah, yeah. so now that you're sort of at a place where it's looking at scaling the business properly. Yeah. What are the sort of the obstacles that you found that you're facing? I I think the major challenge is that we've got, unlike some businesses, no problem at all filling our sales pipeline. Mm. It's now for me about stepping away from downloading all my knowledge into the team and product development to actually closing some of those deals in the pipeline. Yes. And that's how we're going to scale. Got you. Brilliant. Today we're going to introduce to you some experts who can hopefully offer you some tips on the subject of growth. Later in the show we'll be hearing from Julie Baker, NatWest Head of Financial Inclusion and Enterprise, very fancy title there. But more importantly for us, she's one of the key masterminds behind NatWest Women in Business Initiative. But right now in the studio we are honoured to be joined by an incredible entrepreneur. Riding high on the wave of the dot-com boom, she co-founded LastMinute.com with Brent Hoberman and changed the way we thought about holidays. In 2000, the company floated on the stock market for a whopping £571 million valuation. Not bad, before selling in 2005. Today, she remains incredibly active in the world of business. She sits on the board of massive companies such as Twitter and Marks and Spencers. She has also worked with the UK government to get the British public more computer literate. She joined the House of Lords as a life peer in 2013 before becoming the youngest woman member of the Lords. So it's a very warm welcome. As you know, I'm a huge fan. Uh, Martha Lane Fox. Hello. Oh, actually, no, Baroness no, Lane please Fox. Not. Please not. <laughs> And I always feel embarrassed because I'm not the youngest member of the House of Lords. But you were anymore. when you I've joined. I've been usurped. <laughs> Actually, you know who is? Natalie Evans, who's now the leader. So she's done phenomenally well. Good for Natalie yes. Evans. Wow. Very, very impressive person. Well, well, we like her. But anyway, yes. enough about Natalie Evans. It's all about you today. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so Martha Carolyn um, and I have been talking about her fantastic business. Um, and she has some questions for you in a moment. But I thought maybe it'd be good to just sort of get a bit of background from when you started LastMinute.com. Because obviously at the time, online travel was only 8% of the travel business. Is that right? If that, I think it was probably even less, actually. I know I say this often, but it seems incredible that when we started, we wrote our business plan in 1997 and started the business in 98. 
And really, our battle then wasn't to convince people about lastminute.com. It was much more to convince them that the internet wasn't going to blow up. Yes. No one really thought it was going to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, well, can you imagine? Book your holidays exactly. on it. Put your credit card details <laughs> in there. I mean, are you nuts? And when I would go to parties massively exhausted late at night, really late, because we'd been working so hard, mm. people would sort of move away from you when you said you worked in the internet because they were like, what? What? And now, of course, it's like the coolest job you can have, exactly. being an internet entrepreneur. So it, the world is very, very different and... It seems sort of impossible to give much helpful advice about running a business in the online world now because when we were doing it, there was no Google, no. there was no Facebook, My goodness. there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat, none of these platform-based businesses. And obviously they are the key now to what unlock a lot of your customers. distribution and yeah. your customers and all those things. So it's hugely uh, changed world. But um, it was a ride. My God. What a ride. It was a ride. It yeah. was a ride. Yeah. One of the things that Carolyn was um, saying earlier was in terms of convincing people and companies that this is the route to go, mm. It's almost like you don't know what you don't know. And so do you think that that was the way for the case for you? Because, yeah, yeah. Definitely, because we were selling not only us, because I was 25, Brent was 28, oh, you know, goodness. so we were like, what the hell credibility do you two have, frankly? Yeah. We were selling the internet and we were selling our ideas, so it was all those things you were trying to convince people were not nuts. Um, we probably only managed two out of three most of the time. Um, but in the end, it was a good idea, right? So, yeah. and, that, and I can say that because it wasn't my idea. I helped get it better, I hope. But it was Brent's original idea and it came from a user need, which is pretty much what I think the best businesses come from. Yeah. I, Brent was always organising everything on a Friday night for his weekend. Yes. And he'd be on the phone, he had two mobiles, <laughs> two fixed line phones. And I worked with him and I'd be sitting on the floor of his office watching him. And in the end, he just said, you know, the internet can do this better. It's a clearinghouse. It can be an exchange for all this product at the last minute. So when we sat in front of airline people or hotel bosses or people that were sceptical, mm. in the end, everyone in the travel industry has unsold inventory and totally. it's of a value to them yes. for every single pound that they can generate. And in... You know, the argument didn't have to be much more complicated than, than that. that. Because for them, they had nothing to lose. Exactly. exactly. So you have what um, is is called a, a portfolio career. I <laughs> like that expression because it makes me sound... E I walk with a stick, so I already feel about 100 years old, and that does not help. <laughs> What else can we call oh, it? I don't know. I keep trying to reinvent it because, you know, I had this very bad accident, so I can't work, you know, one boss of one thing anymore no. because my life is a bit too choppy. Mm. And, yeah, people kind of want to put you in a box. Oh, you're yes. a blah. Yeah. But I'm not a blah. You're not. I like doing stuff. I started a business called Lucky Voice. It's a yes. karaoke business. I love me. Lucky there Voice. I've had so many parties there. There you go. Yeah. Well, we love you too. Um, and I'm going to Dubai this weekend, actually, to see the one we've just opened in Dubai. Amazing. So I like that. But mm. then I also really like social entrepreneurship yeah. and starting charities and I've started one recently called Dot Everyone and I actually think that people don't like being put in boxes okay. and it's quite good to not be confined okay, to Okay, I've got thing. the new name. You have an out of the box, <laughs> outside the box career. How out about that? <laughs> okay, so now Caroline, you have some questions for Martha, don't you? Yeah. I think let's just get to business. Okay. <laughs> this is why we're here. Um, do you want to fire away? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that Maiden Voyage is doing is joining the dots around the world for women. Yep. And I guess what I'd really like to know is what do you think are the secrets to growing a vast community online? 
It's such a good question, and I guess I feel as though it's one of the best times you can possibly do that, but also one of the most challenging in a way. Yeah. Because we've got more tools than ever before. You know, you can get onto Facebook and start doing stuff immediately, or you can get straight onto Instagram, whatever the, your chosen social media platform. I should give Twitter a plug right now because yes, I'm on the board. Yes, Twitter. But I should declare an interest. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's more competitive. It's hard to break through without the noise and uh, with all the noise going on. So I think it's kind of double-edged sword but if I was doing something well I am building communities but in a different way to you I guess I think the first thing to do is to work out where the people that you are wanting to reach are mainly hanging out yeah. because if you're trying to reach kids it's different to where you're trying to reach um, older women like me or very old women like me <laughs> so kind of work out what the right place to land your marketing is and yeah. start testing you know i think that the best thing about building online communities now is that you can do a lot for relatively little cost and you can see what works and if things don't work then stop and if they do then do yeah. you know i know some businesses that only use facebook because it's just a staggeringly effective presence for them and they've got great tools yeah. for tracking i know other businesses that only use twitter because it's more about customer service or it's about interaction mm. and so on so i would just urge you to test a few things not spend too much money and get going brilliant thank you Next question. Um, so I went into business not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur at the time. I went in because I'm passionate about technology. I love travel and I love helping other women. And so actually I put my three things together. And what I see my job now being is the figurehead, the leader, the disruptor. But what I don't see is any passion in myself for selling. I never went into business because I love selling and I find it really scary. And I was just talking to June about the amount of effort you have to put into a very big corporate sale. How did you get over yourself? Because you must have had the same fears. Well, I guess the first thing is I was 25 when I was doing the worst selling of my life, really. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just completely naive and kind of just stood there in front of people. And now I look back on it, I'd be much more frightened now if I was trying to do now what I was doing then, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I wish I had a secret formula to say this is the thing, but I can just share an experience that's relevant to me now. I started an organisation called Dot Everyone. It's a charity, but we have to raise money and I have to raise it because I'm the founder and people want to see my face and know that I'm actually committed and doing yeah. stuff. We're trying to fight for a fairer internet, so it's got a good moral cause. It, you know, it's kind of irrefutably, I think, an important thing in the world. And I like what you're doing with the prisons as well. Thank it's you. so important. But, but I still have to stand up in front of people and shake my little teeth can to raise money for the organisation and I hate it because I find it sometimes embarrassing mm. and I don't like always having to have the onus on me so I think the, what I personally do is just kind of perform like treat it properly like a performance and as a somewhat okay. frustrated actress yeah. I turn a switch on in my head <laughs> and I just say you're on stage so it doesn't feel sometimes like the real Martha mm. probably shouldn't say this yeah. on, out loud recorded it's but like it's Beyonce true. Sasha yeah. Pierce well, there you yeah. go. exactly and I do sometimes even see a physical switch in my head that goes from off to on to kind of click into that um positive bit in your brain but I think the, the second part that I would say is just as important is recognising what you're good and what you're bad at. I'm sure you're a brilliant salesperson. You seem very approachable and smart and friendly to me. But maybe if you don't like it, then find somebody to work very closely with you who can close the deals. And you yeah. go in and you do the razzle-dazzle and then someone follows through with the nitty-gritty of the money. That can be really effective. But I feel for you because those long corporate sell-ins are torturous. 
But they're you. worth it once they yes. come off because they're the big Absolutely. money earners, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. And the other thing I'd say is I've learned going at all levels of an organisation. You know, my inclination is always to go to the top because if you start at the top, it can trickle down. But I think also it's important that whatever hooks you can get into an organisation, get them. So it might yeah. be that you meet a different person from a different bit of it, talk to them about it too, and then talk to the other person from this department because big organisations are so siloed and as many people as have heard of you and know what you're up to, then the better, I would say. Brilliant. Right. Brilliant. Really good advice, thank you. And uh, you have another question. I do you? have one more. Um, so since I've started selling overseas, I've come to the conclusion actually that the British are a nation of cynics. No um, way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually quite a joy to sell in Switzerland. They want lunch. They ask yeah. you questions. They're very courteous and polite. The Americans can't get enough of what we do. Did you also have that, that same experience? Yeah, those cultural differences are really fascinating, aren't they? And it's one of the reasons I loved having a relatively international business, even though we're only pretty small. Um, I find it just fascinating. You know, just mentioned Lucky Voice, and we just opened in Dubai. And how you get business done in Dubai is a hell of a lot different to how you get it done in London. I can imagine. Both good and bad. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and <laughs> you know what I see again in San Francisco when I go to Twitter is that kind of, woohoo! absolute they're all nuts but it's still a kind of let's go for it mentality I think mm. so I find those differences kind of exciting and you just have to be culturally aware of them don't you because I think sometimes if you're talking in a different language to the one that people are hearing I don't mean their tongue I mean actually how you're speaking yeah, and how presenting that yeah. can be quite bad I remember we used to have offices in lastminute.com in France and in Germany and um, Brent would naturally go to France because he speaks perfect French and mm. I don't and, he, and I would go to Germany and I loved going to the German office because they were actually quite similar to English people but just a bit more effective and yeah. professional. Very efficient. Very kind of conforming to type but also you know they needed very clear set targets and if you gave them little chunks of boxes of stuff to do then they get it done and I think that's when you can tap into those differences it can be very powerful. And any tips for unlocking the cynics in the UK? Oh in the cynics in the UK sorry I didn't quite answer the main bit of your question well again I think fight cynicism with a lack of it is what I might say mm. I think that you know people whether they like it or not do respond to smiling cheerful optimistic view of the world I, I think agree it's very easy if someone's sitting in front of just being like kind of cross their hands and scowling at you to sort of sink to their level or think that maybe you have to be like that to win them over when I don't actually agree I think that being um, upbeat and confident not insane sort of happy clappy follow me over here but maybe just being um you know relentlessly clear and sure of what your message is and smiling and strong-minded about it i think that's the way to fight the cynics and also obviously all the basic things like showing them what's working you mm. know show the data yeah build them uh, take them on the journey that you've built around the business and those things in my experience do work Thank so, you. So, Martha, um, obviously Carolyn's business is a travel business mm -hmm. and most of her income comes from working with mm -hmm. big corporates. But do you think that there are other ways that she might be able to monetize? Well, I wonder, you know, listening to you talking about your communities, I, you know, it is hard to get money from marketeers for online stuff. You know, we've all read recently about the kind of maelstrom of advertising spend on the internet and how that's ended up. Some very bad places like the whole fake news um, yeah. phenomenon. Mm. But... What I would say and um, I think is interesting is if you can show you've got a kind of very specific, not niche, but clear demographic group that you are targeting, that's what, in my experience, online advertisers want to see. They want to see the real nature of those 
um, effective communities. So if you can say, look, we have women between 55 and 65, they're traveling, they're relatively well off, they're blah, 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 blah. And you then match that to some um, people that are targeting that group, then I think you're really going to be much more successful than people who've got this sort of blanket bomb, just don't really know much about who their audiences yeah. are and don't have that data underpinning stuff. So that might be one other thing. And then, I, again, I don't know, maybe your model does this, but presumably when the women that you are introducing get together and go to places, mm. then there might be a revenue model, you know, sharing money with commission from a restaurant or whatever in a hotel. Yeah. Is it, do you get that kind yeah, of Yeah, what we do now? is we, do, we have a certification programme right. for hotels. So actually hotels who pass our criteria yeah. can advertise on the website, but also they go into a database which right. we share with the corporates and with the travel management right. companies. And do, can you take a bit of the revenue from any of that? We do a flat fee advertising. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. What, what kind of criteria would it be for the hotels? What's the bar? Uh, well, things like double locking doors. Mm -hmm. um, so quite often, um, you know, rooms have been compromised because people have used a master yeah. key to get yeah. in. Um, the one bugbear that we were talking about is not having your room number announced out loud. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? I said the same thing. It's the most oh, annoying good. thing and everybody yeah. does it. Yeah. yeah. Can you please add, I don't know if this is one of yours, but this is one of my bugbears. <laughs> Here we go. In the hotel I stay in when I go to San Francisco, very grand, five-star luxury hotel chain, there are no bins in the bathroom. That's the most annoying thing. Because men design the room. I'm yes, sorry. They yes, don't even think that we might want to get rid of whatever the hell things we, as women, want to get rid of. Tampax, <laughs> yeah. sanitary towels. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it because it winds me up so much. It's ridiculous. And then all the hangers are always like for huge, big jackets. Or yeah. the ones who don't come out of the wardrobe. So you can't do. steam something in the bathrobe. Yeah. So I'll give you oh. both a tip. Next yeah. time you check into a hotel, yes. tell them that you're going to inspect for maiden voyage. Okay. And then you'll get an upgrade. All right. Okay. Nice. Well, done. <laughs> that is done. Thank done. Well, whether you're launching a brand new startup or a more established business looking to grow, sharing stories, knowledge and advice is key to opening doors and overcoming problems. NatWest's Julie Baker is a keen believer that whatever stage you're at, it's important to keep role models in your sights. Hello, my name is Julie Baker. I'm Head of Enterprise at NatWest and my team are responsible for the Women in Business proposition. It is really important for female business owners to have role models as the latest NatWest Entrepreneurship Monitor has revealed some great insights from female entrepreneurs. 71% of women say that girls and young women need successful female entrepreneurs to act as their role models. So why is this? Um, firstly, for inspiration. Women are still less likely than men to want to start up in business and their biggest barrier is fear of failure. 58% of females have a fear of failure when setting up in business. They also say they do not know where to go for information. 63% tell us they don't know where to go even in this day and age. Another reason that role models are really, really important is that women in business quite often say that confidence is a challenge. So to improve your confidence and business performance, you can adopt the habits of your role model. Witnessing somebody else's success gives you a different perspective. It instills belief that you can do it too. Think what they would do. Imagine they're on your shoulder when you're in a challenging situation. It is really important to identify the right sort of role model. 
and it may be for different challenges and obstacles you have with your business, you need different role models. And sometimes it isn't a role model, it's a sponsor, and they're slightly different things. However, for me, when I look back, when I was starting out in my career, there were very few role models. There were very few senior females in banking. So actually, my early role models were actually males, and they sponsored me and supported me and helped me overcome those challenges. But the biggest role model in my life was my mother. What my mother was really good at was collaboration, very friendly, supportive of others, but also not afraid to ask for advice. And she was always there to give advice as well. So I'd say, for me, kindness and collaboration, which is what I learned from my mother, was uh, something I learned in early life, and I've taken that with me throughout my career. Today, we are in a much better place when you look at successful career women and successful business owners. There's lots of role models out there. Thanks there to Julie Baker, NatWest Head of Financial Inclusion and Enterprise and all-round women in business superwoman. We'll be hearing from her as she will be joining us in the show shortly. I'm June Sarpong, and this is the NatWest Women in Business podcast. With me are Carolyn Pearson, founder of Maiden Voyage, and serial entrepreneur Martha Lane Fox. So, Martha, you are a role model to so many women, and don't be modest because you are. Um, (laughs) And and not just women, to entrepreneurs in general. So, who were your role models when you started? Because at 25, presumably, you either had none or you had loads. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I think that we, I had personally, I had two sets of things, right? I had people that I had admired, and some of them were a bit insane because they're nothing to do with entrepreneurialism. But, you know, I went back a lot to things that I'd studied in history. Mm. And I always found the strong women through ancient history and modern history, the people that I found compelling. So, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft was a massive, huge inspiration to me. You know, she wrote this incredible treatise about the rights of women. I kept in my head a lot when I was sitting in all those tech conferences, (laughs) just full of men, frankly. (laughs) But then there were the people who were around me that were doing amazing things. And um, two of them are my really close girlfriend still and while I was stuffing airline tickets into envelopes my friend Lucy was founding an incredible charity that helps women get education called CAMFED they've now two and a half million women around Africa have been through education she's hugely important in the UN she's just doing phenomenal stuff so that kept putting airline tickets in envelopes in perspective (laughs) and then my best friend Seanine was working on death row in um, Louisiana helping inmates so you know that is a pretty who are your friends a pretty humbling thing to do because uh, to have them around you it makes you realize that your world's not so important it puts it all in perspective yeah. doesn't it so and carolyn any role models for you she's sitting here today <laughs> <laughs> and it's a miracle carolyn has got as far as she had if that's the case <laughs> yeah, absolutely and it sounds a little bit cliche doesn't it? i do have a little tear in my eye because i'm so excited oh, to be in the room you. with martha and um and and it, we talked a little bit earlier about visualisation and, and I took investment in my business last year mm-hmm. and I said to my investor, I would really, really love to get some time with Martha Lane Fox. Are you serious? No. And here we are. <laughs> I want your visualisation. It's not by accident. It's not by accident. So you have manifested.
invested in a big way. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, we well, love we must, that. Okay, stay in touch, Karen. I'd love, I'd love to. to hear more Thank about you. your business. Thank oh, you. Thanks, Martha. Okay, so, well, you heard her a moment ago. Now she is in the studio <laughs> with us, Julie. She's visualisation. She's visualised you here, Julie. <laughs> How are you, Julie? I'm really well. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for joining us. So will you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do at NatWest? Yes, yeah, certainly. I'm Julie Baker and uh, my team look after the Women in Business proposition and also look after other minority groups at Enterprise. Mm. But back in 2012, we looked at the research and it was evident that only 20% of the businesses in the UK were run by women, yet women made up over 50% of the population. So we thought we need to do something here. Can I interrupt so, you one minute? I just have to say my favourite fact yeah. of all time, which is there are more men called John than there are women running businesses. Yep. It's just wrong. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely oh, crazy. No, no. And, and more men call John in the FTSE yes. 100 boards yes. Yes. than there are women yes. in the FTSE yes. 100 yes. boards. Yes. Well, so, I, think, I think the moral of the story here is not only do we need more women, but we need more people to stop calling their sons John. No, we need more women running businesses. So we, we set up our Women in Business accreditation programme in partnership with Every Woman. And we put our relationship managers through a one-day accreditation. Uh, they read the research, they understand the different buying behaviours, and we look and seek out role models, like these two wonderful role models here yeah. today. And uh, our women in business specialists also set up an events programme out in the regions. Yeah. And we have 400 based around the country. Fantastic. Uh, so, uh, Martha, we were talking a bit earlier about Carolyn uh, finding it actually easier to do business internationally. Mm. What advice have you got for companies that are wanting to scale their businesses outside of the UK and find sort of yes, global really markets? It's really important, you know, and especially now post Brexit, dare I say, oh, the words you probably managed please. not to say them now I've brought the whole no, thing bring down. bring it. Crash. Yeah. I um, was talking in a debate in the laws recently about exports and firstly, just as a point of note, I was the only woman talking about in this subject, which was just a thing of shocking, note, just because there are not enough women in the Lords who know oh. about business, full stop, let yeah. alone we talk about exports. And I don't know anything about exports, that's the irony, but I talked about it because obviously tech gives you an amazing opportunity to start scaling and yes. thinking about how you distribute internationally, both yeah. finding your customers, yeah. but also um, finding partners and so on. Yeah. So the first thing is, and it sounds kind of obvious, but Unfortunately, still a huge number of small businesses don't use technology in yeah. as effective a way as they could. But get online, look at the resources, look at the government ones, because that is a good first stop. And then, you know, going to those international platforms again yeah. is another way of just cutting out some cost and uh, trouble to you, the company. The second thing is, you know, that's all the starting point, I would say. But in the end, you have to be in a place. Yeah. So being able to go out there and look someone in the eye and talk to them and do the deal, I'm sure that's Carolyn's experience, you know. I come from the world of tech, but nothing beats being face-to-face. -face. So you do have to go to places to understand what makes them tick, what it's really like on the ground and how to get going. So you need to get a bit of budget together to have a bit of a world tour. To be able to travel, yeah. indeed. So, Julie, tell us, what work does NatWest do in terms of helping entrepreneurs scale internationally? Well, we have, um, as I mentioned earlier, a series of event programmes, and we partner with the, the DIT, the Department of International Trade, to actually share expertise so we don't deliver all that expertise ourselves we reach out into the local communities and, and look at who can help our customers export 
and we're running the programmes around the country. We also share links on Content Live, which is um, one of our websites. So if you Google sort of NatWest Business, you'll be able to have links through to that. Mm. And certainly there's a Q&A on Brexit. And even though at the moment it's, there's a lot of uncertainty <laughs> around oh, Brexit, goodness. you know, it's how best we will keep that sort of, if you like, updated on a regular basis. We have regular updates from the bank's economist. But watch this space because nobody knows on Brexit Nobody yet. knows, no. yeah. But again, we are seeking role models, if you like, that have got into exporting to support and help other businesses that are looking to export. Brilliant. So, Carolyn, we were talking a bit earlier about your experience with Entrepreneurial Spark. Can you tell me how you got involved? I know you said you sort of parked outside and made sure that you were accepted on the programme. Um, but how have you found it and how has it helped improve your business? The Entrepreneurial Spark programme's been massive for me. Um, I had a couple of accidents, actually, in, in my first few months when I was there. I was in a car crash. Oh, I'm sorry. And I had a sailing accident. And actually, had I been working from home, I wouldn't have had people saying, how are you? Do you think you need to go to the doctors? Or mm. are you getting better? And it's just those simple things of having people around you that, that really, really helped. But in terms of, you know, uh, that helped with my mindset and, and the enablement sessions that I had. But actually, it was one of the mentors who said to me, you know, your business has got massive potential here. But actually, if you don't take investment, your business is going to starve to death. Wow. And I'd been approached by an investor three years earlier. And I just wasn't ready. I wasn't brave enough. Maybe typical woman in business attitude. But I was more paranoid that he needed to get a return on his investment. Whereas and you wouldn't give it to him. Yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it helped me un unlock that mindset. And so I, I was already anyway changing the business model. So I entered Entrepreneurial Spot right at the, the right time. time. And so actually, I could then see how that man could get a return on his investment. And so I went back and said, uh, I'm ready to have that conversation with you now. And of course, what investment does it unlocks, you know, bringing on a team, yep. you're not doing everything yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget also the support that NatWest have given through Entrepreneurial Spark. I've won prize money along the way. And, and again, it's not the money that makes a difference. It's a recognition. Yes. And we wouldn't be here today because that support just continues. And having that community as well. So, Julie, what else does NatWest do to help entrepreneurs with managing risk? Because as you say, on one hand, it is the sort of the mindset of being fearful of risk. Mm -hmm. But I suppose that's easier if you have a, a banking partner that sort of helps guide you through that process. It is. And certainly, first of all, through our entrepreneurial spark hubs, we have the enablers. And, and certainly one of those enablers will be an expert on helping you with your business planning, right. your forecasting and the sort of financial expertise that possibly a lot of small business owners don't have. Yeah. Uh, but when you look out in the mainstream and those businesses that aren't fortunate enough to be in one of the eSpark hubs, uh, the events programmes that we run cover similar topics. So we do run events on accessing finance, getting bank ready for finance. Sometimes it's really simple things like making sure you're on the electoral roll because if oh. you're credit scored and you're not on the electoral roll, wow. chances are you'll fail that credit score. Really? And that is such an easy A lot of people fix. don't even know that. No. Yeah. no. Which is great because it means we get more women voting. So yes, we get two, yes, two yes, for yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> 
So I want to ask you a question, Martha, about being a female entrepreneur, because obviously your career path is so unique. It's unique whether it be male or female. But do you, do you identify as a woman in business or are you somebody who sees yourself as just an entrepreneur? And no, I definitely see myself as a woman. and I, I love think, that because a mean, lot of like uber successful women don't no, like that tag. I, I know. And it's, I, you know. That's their choice, I guess. Mm. But I feel like you have a responsibility if you've been a successful, relatively successful woman to try and both spread that, share it. I mean, I do that personally by giving my time for free free to things, but also more to help bring other women along with Mm. you. And some people pay lip service to that, but hopefully try and live it too. So I don't find anything awkward about describing myself front and foremost as a woman I think the battles are still endless and I will shut up in a minute but if you look at my sector the tech sector I think I find it one of the most dispiriting aspects of it that a sector that didn't exist did not exist 30 years ago did not exist I'm going to say it again has a lower percentage of women than the house of lords which is a 500 year old (laughs) institution so you think I was a completely lame idiot if I didn't try and do you know put myself out there as a woman in the sector because it's really a really massive profound problem it really is and and it's one of those where particularly for the next generation of female entrepreneurs we must do something so that they can even go further yeah Yeah. absolutely right and there are you know things shifting now here more and more funds that are devoting money just to women there's one here now in London run by a brilliant woman called Debbie Roscoff. They've Who started, we love. Yes, Debbie's yes. great, started Albright. There's one in the US, woman, another very smart computer engineer called Alexis Durat St. James. She's very brilliant. She's got a fund called Merry Adventures Women. So mm. a few things are changing, but just not quick enough. No, just not, not at quick all. Enough. And we're going to wrap up the conversation in a moment, but I always like to end where possible by asking people what their favourite bit of their job is. You know, you, you were all in really sort of unique careers. So what's yours, Julie? Oh, I, I feel I'm one of the luckiest people uh, around uh, in the oh. bank. I, I spend my days working alongside entrepreneurs like Caroling, but I also get to meet those entrepreneurs that have got the energy and enthusiasm and the passion mm. that then I can introduce and add value um, because I can help get them to the next stage and yeah. it is really rewarding and it's an absolute privilege to be doing what I'm doing today. Fantastic. So, Caroline, what's the best bit about your business? It's all good. But <laughs> but I have to say, probably I have to pinch myself now when people call me and say, can we fly you out to New York to come and speak at yes. our roadshow, whatever it is. So in the last last year, I've been flown to Istanbul, Monte Carlo, New York. Wow. To some beautiful venues, you know, five-star hotels, you know, private members clubs and get to just go and share my passion. And I think that's why... When I'm there in the moment, I'm so excited that people can't help to get infected by it. Mm. And that's why I think our pipeline grows like it does. Yes. So, Martha, uh, finally, before you go, what's the best thing about being an entrepreneur? <laughs> well, you know, I think it is a, a, it's a way of life. That's the thing, isn't it? And I think you can sort of learn to be an entrepreneur, but I think you sort of can't. And I thought about that a lot recently. I think... You can encourage people to take a bit more risk in whatever they do and to try and own it a bit more. And I think that's a good thing, whether you're starting your own business, whether you're working in a factory, whether you're working in a call centre, you know, feel like you do have a bit more of a sense of yourself and your own destiny. And I think that is an entrepreneurial way of being at work, but I'm not sure everyone is an entrepreneur. And 
for me personally, the thing I think I've enjoyed the most is working in partnership. Mm. So I've always done things with a co-founder, and I think that that's a really lovely way to build something, especially if you can find someone who's got sort of complementary skills and who you get on with. And it's just more joyful to share the pain yes. and the brilliant things <laughs> yeah. with somebody else. So, you know, my friendships that I've made out of the things I've started have definitely been the best things. Of course, it's fabulous. More people have been on last minute holidays or have a great singing lucky voice. But actually, mm. the things that stay with you and make you a better human being are those relationships. Yeah, and those collaborations. Exactly. Well, Martha, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so no, much for all the you advice you've me. given Carolyn. Carolyn, good luck with everything you've thank doing you. and Julie thank you for joining us thank you thank you thanks there to Carolyn Pearson Martha Lane Fox and Julie Baker remember you can find out more about the women in business initiative and how NatWest team of over 400 specialists can help you simply by searching NatWest women in business and remember, if you want to talk to NatWest about funding, security may be required, product fees may apply, and you must be over 18. But until next time, it's bye from me, June Sarpong. Mm-hmm.